glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated, and as you're seated, take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's Focus Sunday, so I'm going to take a little bit of a uh, diversion away from Matthew for one week, and then we'll be back in it next week. So Ephesians chapter 2 uh, is where we'll be today. If you need a Bible, we do have Bibles out in the foyer. Please pick one up uh, so you can follow along there. Um, again, on behalf of the staff, as Pastor Doug mentioned, uh, thank you for your gift to us. It is, it is a joy to serve here. It is, it is a gift that God has called us uh, to be able to work here. And uh, the best part as a pastor is your responsiveness to God's Word and the way that you care for each other, uh, the way that you worship. Uh, it is a real joy. And so just thank you, and uh, we look forward to 2024. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, we're going to focus on verses 18 through uh, 22. And I picked this as a focus day passage, uh, <clears throat> you know, and in part just because with this uh, balcony that is opening up here soon, um, that's one of the things we have to look forward to. And one of the things that we're going to be adjusting to here in the year ahead. Uh, the plan is that we should have pews be put in um, uh, over the next couple weeks. And we should be back to one service on February 4th, and uh, that one service will be at 10 o'clock, so it'll be 30 minutes earlier than this one, uh, with our Sunday school class being at 9 o'clock. And so, yeah, that's February 4th, so we have two more regular, or two more Sundays with two services. But a lot of those changes, it's important for us to think about who we are and what we're here for, and that's why I wanted to look in this, in this passage. Um, Ephesians 2 overall is about the grace of God and salvation. It talks about pe taking people who are alienated and they were far away from God and how God has brought them near. And then it also, and that's through salvation, that's through Jesus' death on the cross. And then it talks about a second thing, and that is uh, through people who are far apart from each other and how God has brought them together as he's brought them to himself in salvation. It talks about things like racial reconciliation. In this case, he's talking about the Jews and Gentiles and that dividing wall of separation, which was there historically, the Jews and then everybody else. But we could even think about how racially and economically and, and in other ways, the Church of Jesus Christ represents um, people from all kinds of diverse backgrounds who are coming together towards uh, in, in Christ. And what happens then is, as we're saved in Jesus, and we look around, we see that others are saved in Jesus, we see that here we are, we're gathered to a church, we're gathered to a body together. What does that mean for the way that we live together? What does that mean for the way we interact together? Uh, what does that mean for our mission together? And that's what verses 18 through 22 uh, speaks about. It speaks about that identity of who that body is that God is bringing together in, the, in, in his church. All right, so 18 through 22, it does speak about the nature of the church and it's a reminder of what we're focused on um, as we move forward. So uh, let's look at God's word starting in Ephesians 2.18. For through him, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, 
being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, uh, you come and you speak to us as to our identity. Our identity is a church. Our identity is a body. Who is it you've called us to be? And what does that mean, God, as, we, uh, as, as we're reflected out in the world? And so, Father, help us to understand your design. Help us understand your plans. And then also our part in it. Father, we'll be faithful to the mission that you've called us to. So lead us and guide us as we look in this passage today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, believe it or not, that we are currently in the fastest moving religious movement in the United States of America. Now, you may not have known that, uh, but the statistics and other things show that we are. But it's not in the direction that you might think it is. Some authors call it the great de-churching in America, a term that is used to describe the number of people, the number of people who used to go to church but no longer go to church. To de-church means that there was somebody who was active, an active participant in going to uh, church, but no longer is uh, so. And it may have happened even if no significant belief changes happen in them; they're just uh, not attending. And for some of us, that's a very personal thing. Um, many families, even in our own congregation, and certainly uh, ones that I know outside of us, um, are affected by it because as, as children have grown up, they've moved out, um, um, they have a child or, or maybe more who has um, stopped attending church. It's something that I, that I pray about a lot as we consider our own children, as we consider their spiritual conditions, we consider their soul and, what, and, and, and their future. Um, as people have written about this, there's multiple reasons why they say that it's happened. Uh, sometimes it's people moving, never finding a new church in a new city. Um, others stopped when uh, the pandemic started and never came back. Uh, some have chosen to uh, make online church um, a permanent like through live stream, online church or something, a permanent thing. Uh, some have stopped attending because of some sort of abuse or scandal. Uh, some stopped attending because of family changes that happened to them. Some didn't feel adequately connected to their congregation. Some didn't feel cared for within it. Others, their friends stopped going, so that they just stopped going. You know, we could look. There's, probably, there's a lot of reasons, those, and probably more that we could identify in there. Uh, people have their reasons. But there's also an attitudinal shift that happens uh, with these things, with many viewing the church as non-essential. You may have remembered during COVID-19, you know, many um, agencies declared the church as non-essential, meaning that, that you know, they're to be shut down and not to meet until the, the, the crest of the pandemic is, is past us. But that was a term that was used. And, and many uh, people take on that view as, 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 as theirs. They probably many thought of it before, and then afterwards, we see that happening, people viewing church as non-essential. And I don't know if that word sticks in your head as you think about church. Is it non-essential, or is it essential? Is it something that you just add on as an optional benefit to uh, being a Christian, or is it something that is a big part of your, an essential part of your life? Now, the Bible makes it clear uh, that, that the church and the assembling together is essential, of Hebrews chapter 10, 
starting in verse 24 and 25, it speaks to that. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So we see the Bible's command of not, do not neglect to meet together. Uh, it is essential for our spiritual life that we gather together for worship, that we gather together under the word, that we gather together to take of the sacraments. You know, these are critical for our souls. The Westminster um, Confession of Faith, it says the same thing. There's a little excerpt in the, in the sidebars in the bulletin, but it says that outside of the visible church, there is no ordinary means of salvation. This is the way that God saves people, is he saves them in light of the church of Jesus Christ. And so the way that the Bible talks about uh, the church, there's no way that we could call it non-essential. Salvation is found in Jesus Christ, and the church is his body. The, the Bible doesn't allow us to treat the church as some un, unimportant or unessential part. And yet when people uh, treat it as not essential, those who stop attending do experience some negative effects as a result. Uh, one of the major studies found that the de church indicate higher levels of anxiety, depression, and loneliness than those who immerse themselves in their faith community. And statistics are borne out in many different cases that, that those who are involved in, in the Church of Christ, who are involved in those things, um, experience you know, much uh, lower levels of anxiety, depression, and loneliness than those who, who, who don't. Now, the good news for all this is that many of the de-churched, they indicate um, an openness to coming back, um, an openness to being re-churched, if you will. The vast majority would attend, given that right opportunity and, and the right connections. And, and that's a little bit what I want to think about today as we have focus day today. Um, many of the de-churched have experienced a loss in not having the church as part of their lives. Um, many who are de-church or many of those who have never been church at all, uh, there is a disconnection, disconnection from God, uh, a lack of grounding in, in why they're here, what they're called to, a lack of sense on, on the moral boundaries for our life. Um, and so as when we think about who we are and what we're here for, we realize that there is something that we offer to the world in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is connected to how Ephesians chapter 2 describes the church. Sorry, in verse 18, it says, for, um, sorry, verse 19, it says, for, uh, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, that word that's used for household is oikeos, and it describes literally uh, one of the persons who compose a household, usually consisting of a family, servants, some extended family. So anyone who is part of the church is a member of God's household. It's membership language of that body that is being spoken here. And so remember that, how, that the church is not a building, it is the family. There's lots of different metaphors the Bible uses to describe it. There's a bunch in just the section we read about. Our closing hymn has a number of them. But one thing about that, that description of the church as being a family, not just the physical, physical edifice that's around us. If all this uh, disappears or is taken down for some reason, the household remains, and that's because the people who make up that household 
remain. That is the family of God. And so these words of this verse, they fundamentally affect the way that we think about who we are and who God calls us to be. God calls us to be a family together. And so while the church of Jesus Christ, it, while it has organizational aspects, that's not the primary way that we understand who we are what we're doing. I mean, we must have organizational aspects. We have to. Um, you know, we want to do things respectfully. We want to do things decently in order. We want to do things with justice and with love. But attitudinally, at root, you know, we think of ourselves more as caring for one another as a family together. And so this is so important where um, in, in a world where loyalties um, to organizations are so low and there are few loyalties within organizations. And a lot of times loyalty only extends insofar as what, what can you do for me or what have you done for me lately? Um, over the last week, I, I heard this term called Black Monday. And Black Monday is for some people a massive stock crash that happened years years ago. But Black Monday also refers to the Monday after the last NFL game of the season, right? And so after that last NFL game of the season, a bunch of people get fired. And so that's called Black Monday. I think this last week four different NFL coaches got, got fired. It doesn't matter what you did for me in the past, what you did for me last year. What matters is what did you do this year uh, for, for me. It's strange sometimes how quick people can cycle through. Um, their ability as a leader doesn't matter much. What um, matters is how you perform for us here and now. Now, the Church of Jesus Christ doesn't have that what can you do for me attitude. Um, the attitude is different. I mean, it's grounded on, on this. It says it's the attitude of what has Jesus Christ done for us that would bring us together for a family. And what has Jesus done for us to bring us to family? And, and with that in mind, we ask the question, what does my church family need from me? And we also ask, what does God expect from me when it comes to the church family? And we see answers to those questions, it changes the way we understand our calling. It's Jesus Christ who brings us together. We see that in verse 20. If you look at verse 20, we see that this household of God was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We'll start off with this idea of a cornerstone. Uh, the idea of a cornerstone is, is, is um, in the construction of a building. It's that first stone that was laid in the construction of a building. It's set at the outer corner of the two intersecting walls. And once that cornerstone is laid, it lays out the placement of that building, that structure, on the property that's going to be built. And it lays out what direction the, the, all the walls are going to go and how all the structures are going to go. So it's really the most essential stone. Everything is built according to how that cornerstone is laid. And then, he, and then after that cornerstone is laid, we see in verse 20 that is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Cornerstone being there, now how is the foundation being led? The role of the apostles and the prophets was to take this message of the gospel, to clarify its meaning. What is it that Jesus Christ did in his death on the cross? How do we understand that to our life? How do we apply it to our world? And the apostles did that for us in giving us the scriptures and in teaching the early church and built that foundation. And we see since then as we continue to, to build on that as the gospel, this apostolic declaration, this message of Jesus Christ goes out um, into the rest of the world. And so, but we see, you know, the, the cornerstone, the foundation, you know, that was built by God himself. 
And it shows, you know, the essence of our union together. It is through what Jesus Christ did, not based on class or job or ethnicity. I mean, we all may live in around the same place, but, you know, that's not the basis of our union together. The base of our union together is that Jesus Christ has brought us into his church and he's numbered us among the elect. And so, in professing that faith that has been passed down from the apostles and the prophets, it shows that God has brought us to be part of that family. And in that profession, in that profession together, professing that faith together, we see it, we have union together as a body. And so at that starting point, we realize that we have a place in the church of Jesus Christ only because of the grace of God. You know, we're here by grace. There's no way a person, a Christian, would look at the church and say, I'm better than that or, or I don't need that because we all need Jesus. We've all sinned against God. We've all been separated from him. And Jesus Christ came to bring us back to him. And so we start with gratitude. Gratitude for what he's done. Now, there is no doubt that in terms of community, that the church has a lot of competition from the world outside. People find a, um, one author said, people find a more compelling and rich community around their children's sports teams, paddleboarding clubs, and the gym than in the church. But here's the thing, the church is not built around events and activities and interests like that. Uh, we have great, you know, as a church, we have great activities for children. Uh, we have things for adults, and there are some things we're looking forward to in the year to come. We have a, a musical coming up, and we're really looking forward to something like that, but, but events don't define us primarily. Again, what is it that defines us? We're family together, those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We profess our faith in him. You know, we're the ones who gather together for worship. We support each other. We serve together as a body of Christ. Now, the thing that differentiates the church from any other organization is that, is that Jesus Christ has died for his church. He's died to redeem his church, to give his church life, even as he went to death. And as, as he gives them life, they're mysteriously, wonderfully brought together into a body. You know, his death on the cross was to bring them together, to gather together a body for himself. There's a Latin phrase which uh, talks about the body of Christ, and it's the idea of Christus totus. And the Bible does say that, that the church is the body of Christ, right? He is the head, the church is the body, and that this doctrinal belief of Christus totus is, is a reference to the whole Christ, we talk about the whole Christ, we talk about receiving him as head and his church's body. In other words, to experience the fullness of Jesus' work, we don't just embrace Jesus as head, as, as Lord and Savior. He is that, but we also embrace his body by becoming part of his redeemed people. I mean, the church is part of the identity of, of, of Christ, it sounds really crazy to think that Jesus would so unite himself to his, his church and to identify himself in it, but that is exactly what he has, has, has done. At least we cannot truly understand Jesus or truly relate with him without relating to his church. To do so would only be accepting his head. To be, would mean only accepting his head, which would be, in the words of John Stott, a monstrosity. We, we can't love Jesus and hate his body. It's all part of the same Savior. And that's the point, is we cannot find a Christian community that we need outside of the, outside, of the, outside of the church of Jesus Christ. 
We can't just think that, well, I'm a part of the universal church by the death of Jesus, so I don't need the local church. Well, the whole body is represented by that local church that's there. Every, you know, every church that preaches the gospel, administers the sacraments, exercises church discipline, um, is a true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that, that whole universal church is represented in that one body. And that's the part that we're called to be a part of. If we read through the Gospels, we read this, you know, to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Philippi, we recognize that the church of Jesus Christ has its local manifestations always. And that was always God's plan for participation. It was local, inside the local church. And so God has a vision for his people. And his vision we can see is in passages like Romans 8.29. You can turn there, Romans 8.29. We see if we look at that passage that God has a desire that we'd all be conformed to the image of his son. And the church has a central role with doing that. Romans 8.29 says that for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be, uh, might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's God's vision. It's see you become more and more like Jesus. And the church has a, a critical part in that process. We can't substitute that vital connection um, with some other process. God's given us the church to do that. And so we, you know, we can't substitute that vital connection with online church, for example. We can't substitute it with attending Christian concerts or conferences by participating in Christian sports organizations, Bible studies, or even Christian schools. These things are, are good, but they can't substitute for that local church. There can be a great community in those places. We can learn a lot. We can make great friends. We may get emotional encouragement and charge in them, close camaraderie. But those things are not the church of Christ. It's because God's plan is to take communities like this, small bodies of people dedicated to Christ, to help us to grow and to please him. I mean, the church is something that endures through every life stage, through every up and down. A lot of those other organizations, you know, you qualify for it for this period of your life, but later on in your life, you know, well, you're too old for it. Or this part of your life, you're too young for it. It's for older people or whatever. But only the church of Jesus Christ, every life stage, every point of life, does the church have a ministry to the body as a whole. You know, that's a big reason why we want children to be part of our worship services, isn't it? To see that this is uh, their church now and to see that this is uh, what they're a part of, that they can worship together with um, that person in front of them who is 80 years old. And they say that, that I still have a vital connection with people who are different than me and to know and to serve others within that body. We don't, we don't want to train them that Sunday morning is only for children. It's only for one certain segment of the church. Many churches, you know, through use of, of highly entertaining programs that only focus on kids at a certain life stage, you know, they miss out on seeing the value of worshiping together with different people than themselves. We want to, them to see how they just inherit this church, this kingdom for the future, and they're, they're a vital part of it. So the church helps us onto godliness in every life stage. It's not just a dumping ground of information. It's not just a preaching station. It's a family, the family of Jesus Christ serving together. I mean, we can go online and we can get tips on raising kids, how to fix our car, 
how to exercise, how to lose weight. You can find vast entertainment online and all around us. You can find something um, you know, online for almost anything that you want, but here's the thing. By and large, those resources are not committed to helping you fulfill God's purpose for you. They're not committed to helping you grow in godliness and in righteousness and become more like Jesus. And even if you happen to find a Christian video, then unless they know you, unless there's a commitment to you, there's generally no connection that would help you to grow. It leaves out that important aspect of Christian fellowship and accountability that help us become who God has called us to be. So it's a big part of that local church membership is the church has a membership. It providentially shows us who is made part of that family. And so there's a real belonging. There's a genuine commitment to one another. Concerts don't have that. Sports teams last one season. Uh, but the Church of Christ knows who's part of their family. There's something wonderfully different, even mysterious, about how the, Christ, how the Church of Christ works. In the church, we're given worship, and we're given to worship and song, we're given teaching, corporate prayer, care and oversight, opportunities to serve, we're given the sacraments. The Church of Christ has continued to meet in small congregations for over 2,000 years, and to the church belongs the preaching and the sacraments. It is the primary way that God does his work in us. You know, as we look forward to uh, February 4th, you know, we'll go back to one service. You know, why is one service an important thing to us? Is recognition that we're one family together. Are there times, maybe over the last few months, we split up into to two to have two services for a purpose? Yes, and there was good reasons for that. You know, but our goal, our visions, we're one family together, you know, to the best that we can, knowing each other and encouraging one another in Christ. So as we think about this life of a family, we think about maybe how a family would relate to each other, wouldn't we? One of the things that makes a family healthy is its ability to accept and forgive. A lot of us over the last month or so, we went to family outings and, you know, we have that uncle, we have that aunt, we have that cousin or something who believes very, you know, very different than us. And, you know, we just realize, you know, we're, we're family. And so there, there, there are certain things that, you know, I'm not going to lean into or focus on because I just know if I lean into that, it's going to create some sort of, of conflict. You know, we pray even though we get in those times, hey, maybe the Lord would open a door for me to share the Lord Jesus Christ because I really love this person. I want to focus on that. I don't want to focus on these other things which just get us in an argument, but maybe I could share something of the love of Christ with them over this time. But with family, you know, part of living together as a family, we learn to focus on the things that really matter to us as a family. Well, in the household, the church, we also recognize that people are going to be different to us. People are going to have uh, different beliefs in, in, in policies, uh, social policies. They'll have different beliefs in us in raising children. They'll have different cultural backgrounds, different age bracket, different financial tax bracket. They may be sick and in, the lead of, in need of a lot of assistance, or they may be healthy and energetic. Uh, but through all this, we remember the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that unites us. You know, it's his tapestry that he's weaving together. And, and every one of those threads is important for that tapestry that he's weaving together. We know that Jesus saved us from sin. And we see that he saved us with others. We are positioned, you know, to help others. We're positioned for that point of acceptance for others. Because, you know, we see that we all have a shared need together. And that is met in Jesus. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus uh, tells about this. As he was confronted on something, Luke chapter 5, I do not have a slide on this. Um, Luke chapter 5, and we see 
those that Jesus cared for and ministered to. Starting in verse 27, we see Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi or Matthew sitting in a tax booth. And he said to Levi, Matthew, follow me. And leaving everything, uh, Levi rose and followed him. Now again, you know, this Levi was a tax collector. He was an enemy to the people. He, he was part of the oppressive regime, which, which uh, took extra from uh, the people in order to pad their own pockets. And that's who Jesus called to follow him. And he did. So what does Jesus do next? As he goes to a party at his house. Verse, Luke, verse, uh, Luke 5, 29. And Levi made him a great feast at his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. A big part of acceptance within the body of Christ is the recognition that we all have that same need. We all have the same need of the forgiveness of sins. We all have the same Savior who's given himself to give us life. And so we look at the others around us who may be so different from us, and we realize, you know what, really at core we're the same. Really at core, we have the same need and the same Savior who dealt with that. People have said that the church is more of a hospital than a museum, right? I mean, it's a hospital. It's, you know, we know that we're sick with sin. We know we need the Lord Jesus Christ to make us well. We know that we need the forgiveness of sins. We, need, we know we need his, his, his healing to be poured into us. The church is a family. It may not be a perfect spiritual family, but it is a family. It's the household of God. If you're part of a family, you'll also have to forgive we teach little kids at earliest ages to say you're sorry. We teach them to say I forgive you because there's a recognition we have to work together. A part uh, of the church, you know, if we're going to be an active part of the church, there will be a point where uh, we will probably need to apologize for something that we've done. And there is a time where we uh, will have to forgive somebody who's done something to hurt us. Reminds us of the Lord's Prayer where uh, we ask God to forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I guess it's not always just for people outside the body of Christ, but it's also for inside the body of Christ. We see the need of forgiveness. Another thing we learn by being part of a family is mutual respect. Inside of a healthy family, we tell the truth. We use language that builds up instead of tearing down. It's because when people tear each other down, it's no surprise that families break apart. Well, it's the same in the church. Ephesians 4.29 says something important. If you're already in Ephesians, just turn like a page over. Look at Ephesians 4.29, because it tells us this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The way we talk to each other, the way we interact with each other, it shows a mutual respect. Not an attitude that tears others down, but one that builds up builds up towards the calling they have in Christ. If you turn over to uh, Galatians 6.10, we see another way that healthy families relate with one another. In a healthy family, they, they care for one another's needs. They teach children to share at younger ages. Um, and if somebody is sick, especially if we have an older family member who's sick or in the hospital, we drop everything for the care of that person in the hospital. Well, if you look at Ephesians 6.10, that's the model for the household of faith as well. Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, 
and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Family also has expectations, doesn't it? You know, within a family, um, people have different roles. Parents have a role. Grandparents have a role. Aunts and uncles have a role. Children have a role within the home. Um, inside, inside of a house, a mother and father, they have different roles that they, that, that, that they play there. But, you know, in a healthy family, everyone considers their own behavior so that they don't hurt the rest of the family. But really, they, they invest their energy so everybody can move forward together. They can advance together. They do chores and they do good. If one person in a family is going to bring great conflict, tell lies, or gets into drugs, alcohol, or crime, I mean, the whole family gets dragged down by it. They might even have to cut ties with the person until that, until that destructive behavior stops. And it's tragic. It's last resort, but it happens. It's because in a family, one person's behavior affects everyone else. Well, it's the same thing within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a household, it speaks to our behavior together. If you turn over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3... Verse 15, 1 Timothy 3, 15, we see how he works it out there. 1 Timothy 3, um, the Apostle Paul is writing to his, his, his student Timothy, instructing him of being a pastor. Timothy is ministering in a church in Ephesus, and um, you know, they're working out their faith. They're working out their salvation. And the Apostle Paul wants to go. He wants to pour some knowledge into them. He wants to help them to grow in this. But even while he's away, they still need to be growing in it. And it's interesting to see the way that he describes it here in verse uh, 15 and the way it talks about a family life, right? Uh, 1 Timothy 3, I'll start in verse 14. 1 Timothy 3, 14 says this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, right? He might be delayed. He might have to stop in, in Corinth or he might be stuck in Jerusalem. I mean, he might be stuck somewhere along the way. He wants to be sure that he's writing these things to them so they know what to do. What does he say? If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So again, we're reminded, you know, the the household of God is the church, and there is a pattern of life, a pattern of behavior that's there. You know, as the Apostle Paul writes this, I think of like a a parent who's uh, leaving their kids at home and they're saying, hey, we're going to go on a date. You know, make sure that you guys behave while we're away. Just because we're away doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. You know, we're not going to be lighting fires on the back porch in order to have fun uh, today. Or, Or maybe when a kid gets a driver's license and they start driving and we say, well, here's your license. Yes, you can take the car today, but just because you're away from us doesn't mean that the family rules don't exist. Remember, what you do on the road and how you behave at your friend's house does affect uh, the rest of your family. We're reminded the church has a standard in church and, you know, and outside the way that we act here and the way we act out in the community. I mean, being part of a church is to agree to that standard. It's even a part of our membership vows. And if a person doesn't want to do that standard, they, they don't have a place uh, in the family of God. The standard for the household of God is the standard that's set down by the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, in his word. To become part of the household of God is to say we are committed to the pattern of life that is set down by Jesus Christ in the scripture, scriptures. He's our Lord and our Savior. He's our prophet, priest, and king. We follow after him in all that we do. And we do it to please the Father. We do it to care for one another. We do it to bear witness to the rest of the world. And if we're steering the wrong way, you know, we're asking one another to graciously correct us and to point us in the right direction. That's a standard that's so different than the rest of the world. 
The world doesn't care if you live godly lives. The world doesn't care if you please your father. The world doesn't care if you hold God's commandments. The values of the world are so different than what God calls us to. And that means we're pilgrims, but we're pilgrims together. But in a world that's lost is ethical moorings, that doesn't know right from wrong, this behavior, this pattern of life has an attractional appeal. It's based on love. Love of God, love of the neighbor, and love is attractional. It's super attractional. So if you look back at 1 Timothy 3.15, you see that you know, he, he says, you may know how to, one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. You know, this is speaking about the witness of the church. You know, part of the, you know, we have ancient buildings, you have these pillars. One of the purposes of the pillars is to, you, on those pillars, they would post notices. And those notices would be saying, you know, sometimes if there's a transfer of power, when there's meetings, events that are coming up, or those things. And the church is that, is a witness that who is in charge? Who is the king? Who is the king who is on the throne? It is Jesus Christ. And by the way that we live, you know, there's this witness to the rest of the world about the power of Christ, the Christ is king who rules. And it's a witness of truth that others can be part of, that lost sinners can be part of his kingdom, that they can have a place to belong, that they can have a pattern for life, and they can have a family to care for them. Part of being the household of God means that we're, we move away from being estranged to him to being part of his people. We come into his purpose. We come to know his love. The attraction of the church of Christ is that God is present there. If you look back in Ephesians chapter 2, we see in verse 21 and 22, it talks about the church being the place where God is present. Again, verse 20, uh, verse uh, 19 talks about the household of God. And then in verse 21 it says, in whom, in Christ, the whole structure, this household, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It grows into a holy temple of the Lord. And, and you know, as religions have temples, the idea is that temple is the place that God promises to be. And if you do certain things, then God is going to be present there. And what we see here inside this, this passage, it says God promises to be where? He promised to be with his household. He promised to be with his people, so where the people of God assemble. That's where God is present. God promises to be where his people gather. And what a glorious truth for us to consider as we gather together. And what a glorious truth to bring out of the world. That as we assemble together, we believe that God is with us. And we see his work among us. And we see his work in us. And we see his work through us into our community and into the world. I mean, it is glorious to hear that we're his. It's glorious to hear that he's redeemed us and given us life. It's wonderful to hear he's with us in the trials and blessings of life and to see what God is doing in the lives of his people and he's reaching out to them into the world. That's our witness to the world. Invitation to those outside to come be part of that body, to know God as their father, where God strengthens us in our life and actions. So we have to keep this in mind as we think about our mission moving forward, as we think about our balcony and the ministry of the year ahead. We have to keep thinking of ourselves as the household 
of God. So to add 143 seats, you know, the goal of it is not to fill uh, seats or have a greater event. You know, the goal is to, to provide a bigger place to experiencing the blessing of God's household. To be a better, bigger place for people to experience the Christian household, which is the family of God, which is the church. For those who don't have that, for those who've de-churched or left it, for those who've never known it and looking for that good news that's in the gospel, it provides a place for those to come in and to be part of that. And so what do we need to consider as we think about that? How, how do we apply some of these things? I think I have five things. Uh, the first thing is that if you are somebody who is de-churched, maybe you've left the pattern of church participation and you found what many have found, maybe a lack of connection, a lack of spiritual grounding, growth and loneliness, you know, distancing from God. My invitation is to come and come and join us. Come be part of what God is doing here. There is salvation in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness. There is life that's in him. And we, he promised that through his, he promises you know, to bring that life to us through his body, which is the church. You know, as we come together Sunday to Sunday, care group to care group, whatever is we're involved in, we may not always feel that. You know, we have dry times and we have uh, very fruitful times. You know, but there is a supernatural truth, a promise of God's word, that that is how he grows us. He grows us in those ordinary means of grace, those ordinary ways of growing, the preaching of the word, the sacraments, prayer. He does it as we gather together in worship. We have that promise. And so as we wander away, well, maybe it wasn't having the effect that I wanted to. We're reminded there's a promise of God that he does something in it. And when we separate ourselves from it, we will feel a loss of what's gone. The second thing is, for all of us, to think about welcoming and inviting. There is a real hope in the gospel of Christ that meets the real needs of people. It gathers in those who feel alone. It connects people in the body of Christ. And maybe there's someone in your circle that hasn't connected with the church in a while. Is there a way for you to invite them to your home? Invite them to church? What researchers have discovered is that many of the de-church are interested in reconnecting with an authentic church. If just someone would invite them into their home, invite them into their churches. Second thing is we invite. The third thing is we need to think about how we interact together. Part of interacting together means we keep our focus on Jesus Christ. We keep our focus on Jesus. Remember, he's the cornerstone, right? Around him, the apostles and the prophets, they built that foundation. But even then, they, they were pointing towards Jesus Christ. We can't focus on what is different between us. The basic rule of Christian fellowship is to focus on what connects us, not, when, not the things that separate us. Because if you focus on the things that separate us and they show our differences, well, guess what? You know, we're going to see the differences and not what brings us together. You know, one thing I was, one thing I noticed, sometimes, this is about our youth. Sometimes youth can talk about their schooling choices as if theirs is better than others. And it goes like, you know, we have some that homeschool, we have some that go to public school, we have some that are part of Christian school. Inside my family, I've had them. But 
what ends up happening is that, you know, you see these conversations and, you know, as the kids are talking about it, youth are talking about it, you know, they may talk about it in such a way as, well, you know, mine is better than yours and I can't believe that they do what you do where, where you go. It can happen in any of the fields. And, you know, instantly you see the countenance of that one to just kind of like, well, I guess I don't fit in here. I guess I don't belong in the way that you're talking about it. Again, it's just a picture of when we talk about the things that are different about us, it just highlights differences. We're focusing on what is it that unites us? It's Christ. It's a pattern of life he sets before us. It's following him as Lord and Savior. That's what we're endeavoring to do with whatever our environment is. Some of our environment choices we have no choice in. Other people have made them for us. But what we're endeavoring to do is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ with our whole heart. That's the third thing. So we focus on what connects us, which is Christ. The fourth thing is, as a body of Christ, we need to serve. And so the church is a family. We have to think about how we give to the family instead of just thinking what we get from that family. I have six kids, and, and things can get a little crazy, especially around the holidays. If my wife is the only one doing things, it's not a very healthy family picture. And let me tell you, we've had that before inside of my house to my own, to my own shame. You know, but as families grow, as we mature, we see that we all have a small part in, in doing it. You know, what is it? The families grow, and they grow in health, and they grow in joy together. You know, my, my wife does more than any, anyone in our family to get these things going. Inside of my family, some kids do more than others. But when each one does what they can, I mean, it makes a big difference. It's the same thing within the Church of Christ. You know, our call is to find a place to connect, a place to serve. It is better to give than it is to receive. So we find a place to serve. A fifth thing is that we need to prioritize small groups. We need to prioritize our small groups and those life-to-life conversations. We need to talk together. Families need to interact with one another. And, you know, we're a big congregation, so, you know, one of the things that's important for us is to be able to meet together in living rooms with the care groups, to build Christian friendships we can talk about what God is doing in our lives together, to come shoulder-to-shoulder with others, sharing what we have in Christ, to grow in Scripture, to pray together, to have genuine Christian fellowship. I mean, what we have seen time and again is how people end up in the same care groups, even with somebody maybe they didn't um, care much about at the beginning, and they just find, you know, I really learned to love that person. I really learned to appreciate them. I really learned um, about their, their, their viewpoint. I've learned something from being with them. It's amazing how God's word brings us together like that. It's a big part of being a, a, a family together to do those things together. I said there was five, but there's six. There's one more thing. Uh, we need to be faithful to true doctrine. We can't drop what the church is grounded in. It is grounded in Jesus Christ. It's built around him. He's the cornerstone, remember. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And we see this doctrine matters. I mean, beliefs matter, so do actions. And one of the reasons uh, people say they de church is because some churches have lost their message and they lost their pattern for life. And where church loses its message, why would we come? What makes a church without a message better than a sports organization? So when we fail to provide real answers to life's questions, we fail to have the relational depth that God calls us to have. We're a lot more than a community that just gathers for fun or to experience some nebulous community. No, we're grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ. That message of the cross, that's our identity. That there is a God, that, there's, that we've sinned against that God, and that we deserve his wrath and condemnation. But Jesus Christ came 
to pay the penalty of our sin by dying on a cross and to provide a way to enter his kingdom, to have eternal life, to know the forgiveness of sins. He resurrected from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit to us to gather his church together. And so, and he calls us to be part of that body. And he sends his spirit to help so that we together would walk with Christ. You know, we gather as God's covenant people. He has a special relationship with his church. He sent his son to save them, to gather them, and he has a mission for us to live for his glory and to make his glory known throughout the kingdom. What a wonderful calling that God has given to us. As we look ahead to this year that's to come, you know, we look forward to the mission that God has given to us, to be a family together, serving him together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, in your mercy, you chose to save us from our sin. You chose to save us from being separated from you, and you chose to save us from our separation from others. And Father, you forged in salvation a real union between us and others, a real community, Father, in Christ. You've united us through Christ, and so you've united us with one another. And so we ask, O Lord, would you help us to dwell together as a Christian family? Would you help us to get dwell together as a Christian church? God, all for your honor and your glory in, in respect and in forgiveness. Father, in mission together. Father, in seeing the pattern of life you've laid down before us and to encourage one another to follow after Christ diligently. God, that you would receive all the honor and glory. And Father, as we see others that are outside, others that are lost, others that seek that hope, Father, ones that want to know how they can have their forgiveness sin, uh, their sins forgiven, how they can know uh, to be part of your people, how they can know to dwell with your power and your strength. Father, we invite them to come and see the great things that you are doing inside of your people, inside of your church. So God, we're eager in anticipation of what you'll do, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We'll stand together. We see our closing hymn, We Are God's People. If you have a hymn book that's